Man, please turn to Psalm 11. We're in Psalm 11 this morning. Beginning in verse 1. In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee like a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They have fitted their arrow to the string to shoot in the dark at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. The eyes, his eyes see His eyelids test the children of man. The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked, fire and sulfur, and a scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. This is the word of the Lord. Lord Jesus, we we praise you For you are a God of righteousness, and you are the God who loves righteous deeds. And Lord, we pray that that you may continually, that you may gradually, Lord, through our service this morning, through the hearing of your word, communicate your righteousness into our lives, create in us and increasing righteousness, Lord. We pray for that supernatural work of your Holy Spirit. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Back in the spring of 2019, around 50 people were charged in what became known as the college admissions scandal, which I'm sure many of you are familiar with, right, with families, with parents uh, paying exorbitant amount of money for people to take tests or exams on behalf of their children or to pay proctors to give their children extra time to take these tests, all in an effort to get the, their children into elites and prestigious college and universities in the country. And since, and since then, and through other, and because of other reasons as well, there's been a question about the purpose of examinations or whether or not we should have any examinations. Should we be testing students on their knowledge, on their academics? Examination is important. Right? It's, it's a way to test one's knowledge and apprehension of a given subject or various different subjects. It helps us to know exactly what we know or don't know. It helps, in the case of colleges and universities, it helps them to determine who can and who cannot withstand the academic rigors of their particular university or college. As we look to the psalm, here the psalmist expresses 
a confidence in the Lord despite something that's happening to him in his life. We see sort of this unknown character, whether he's a friend or foe, whether he is a, a trusted advisor or an enemy, an enemy of the psalmist, is hard to tell. He says how, essentially, he tells the psalmist to flee, to run. There's nothing else to do. The foundations beneath you are crumbling. What else can the righteous do? But what this psalm reveals to us is that there is a God who is sovereign over all events, that there is a God who exercises this sovereign supervision over all things in the world. And in that sovereign supervision, there's also an examination that takes place, a testing of all people. And in this examination, there's a particular way that God examines the righteous in a particular way that God examines the unrighteous. And so as we turn to the psalm, the psalm tells us, firstly, about God's supervision of the world. It tells us in verse 4, The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see, his eyelids test the children of man. The passage tells us that God sees, his eyelids test. And depending on your particular version of the Bible, you might, it might say gaze, that God sees and God, his eyes gaze and examines the children of man. What we see immediately is that God is not only just a watcher over the world, that God has this distant relationship between himself and his creation, that God is just this bystander who just watches events and does nothing about them. But no, he tells us that God has a particular focus upon every single man and woman on the planet. And he examines them. He tests them. He tests all without exception. And we see this affirmed in several places in the scriptures. For example, in Jeremiah 17.10, it tells us, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. So God searches the heart, tests the mind. Two different ways of saying the same thing, that God examines every single person. The mind, the heart, And then in the New Testament, in Romans chapter 2, verses 6 through 11, we won't read the passage, but kind of as a summary, it tells us that God will render to each one according to his works. That those who obey the truth will receive glory and honor and immortality, but those who do not obey the truth will receive judgment. That God renders to each one according to his works. That communicates to us that God examines the actions of man. More than that, he examines the thoughts, he examines the heart and renders to each person according to their deeds. Jeremiah 32.19 tells us that God is great in counsel and mighty in deed, whose eyes are open to all the ways of the children of man, rewarding each one according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds. Did you catch that? Not only, to, not only according to their deeds, but according to the fruit of their deeds. 
So God not only examines our works, but also the repercussions of our works, but also the, the fruits of our works. Right, this is, this is even worse right, for the wicked. So say somebody goes into a small store, takes out a, a firearm and points it at the clerk and says, give me all the money on the regist- in the register. Gives all the money and the guy books it. A crime for sure that is punishable by the law. God will render to that person according to his deeds but also to the fruit of the deeds. What could, have, what could have been the repercussions of that action, of that crime? What fruit could have that produced? Well, we could say, for, for example, the clerk now lives in this state of fear for a long period of time, or maybe for the rest of his life. Well, now God will also pay the guilty according to their deeds, but also of the fact that this person now lives in fear for the rest of their lives. Because of the money that's in the register, perhaps the clerk cannot pay the bills on time. That's a fruit of that crime, and God will render to that person who committed the crime according to the fruit of their deeds, or to the crime and what the crime produced, the repercussions. So the psalm tells us that God examines closely the works of every single person on the planet, and even sees the thoughts of his mind, and even sees the desires of his heart, and examines closely the fruit of their deeds. So under the supervision of God, we see that there is examination over the entire world. But there's a particular focus on the righteous as well. Because immediately following verse 4, it tells us that the Lord tests the righteous. So we, got, we see that God tests every single person on the planet, but then it also tells us that God tests the righteous. So it kind of narrows in with a particular focus on the righteous. Now it tells us at the end of the psalm also that God loves righteous deeds. So God not only tests the righteous, but also the other thing that tells us about God that he loves, the deeds of the righteous. Now, you and I can sit here and create a long list of what righteous deeds might be, but that doesn't really help us to understand what exactly a righteous deed is according to the Scriptures. To help us to understand what a righteous deed is according to the Scriptures, we need to first understand what kind of person produces righteous deeds. What makes, right, what makes the, the deed of a person in Christ righteous different than a person who does not know the Lord Jesus but still does a righteous deed or a kind thing for someone else. So then, for that, I think Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 11 is helpful for us in telling us what is a righteous person according to the Scriptures Romans chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. 
in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Then later on, according to Romans chapter 8, the righteous person is one who lives by the Spirit of God. So taking what Romans 6 and Romans 8 tells us about what the righteous person is or who he is, the righteous person is one who is alive to God through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and lives by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. That is the kind of person who produces righteous deeds in the eyes of God. It is the person who is alive to God through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.1 tells us, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Ephesians 5 tells us to walk in love. Another way, it's, 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 it's talking about your way of life, the walk of your life. How do you conduct yourself? And the scriptures command us to walk in love. And it gives us a comparison. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, right? so we also are to walk in love. So the righteous person is one who walks in love. One who seeks to imitate God. According to Psalm chapter 1, which makes this stark contrast between the righteous and the wicked, the righteous person is one who meditates on the law of God day and night and even delights in the word of God. The wicked or the unrighteous, on the other hand, don't delight in the word of God. Much less do they meditate, think about deeply on the word of God. So according to the scriptures, the person who does righteous deeds is not necessarily the person who obeys the law, not the person who obeys parents, is not the person who does kind deeds. Those are all good, however, and we should do them. But the righteous person, according to the scriptures, is one who does those things first and primarily because of his allegiance and love to God. I do righteous deeds. I obey the law. I obey and submit to parents because I love the Lord and God commands me to, first and foremost. It's out of a love for God, which is impossible apart from faith in Christ and the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit of God. So this is the kind of person who does righteous deeds, the kind of deeds that the Lord loves. And then knowing that, we can turn then our attention to the particular examination that God has for the righteous. So it tells us in the passage that the Lord tests 
the righteous. The person who does righteous deeds is the person that does them according to what the Bible says about righteous deeds. And that person is a righteous person, and that righteous person, God relates to him in a unique way, that he doesn't towards the rest of the world. And so how does it differ from the rest of the world? Right? God's examination of the world is that he sees their works, he sees the thoughts of their hearts, he sees the fruits of their works as well, and renders to each one according to their works. But God's examination of the righteous, of his righteous, is his testing their faith. He tests the faith of the righteous. And we see this in several places in the scriptures. In Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7, it says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones. And the whole land, declares the Lord, two-thirds shall be caught off and perish, and one-third shall be left alive. And I will put this third into the fire, and refine them as one refined silver, and test them as gold is tested. They will call upon my name, and I will answer them. I will say, they are my people. They will say, the Lord is my God. They're speaking about the Lord's judgment upon his people for their idolatry, for their wickedness but a remnant will be spared, and that remnant God will test, just as gold is tested. And the result will be that they will call upon the name of God. As their faith is tested, as it's put to the trial, they will call upon God, they will lean on Him, they will return to the Lord and say, Lord, You are my God, and God will say, You are my people. Malachi chapter 3, verse 2, But who can endure the day of His coming? And who can stand when he appears? For God is like a refiner's fire, like a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. God is testing the faith of his people so that they will bring offerings to the Lord in a right manner in a righteous manner. James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, speaking to persecuted Christians, count in all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. When you meet trials of various kinds, he says, and that is the testing of your faith. These trials are the testing of your faith, which is intended to produce steadfastness. In other words, this sort of holy stubbornness, this holy rigidness when it comes to the world and temptation and sin. The trials are there in your life and mine to test our faith so that we may learn to be steadfast under trial. 1 Peter 1, 6, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. The trials are intended to test the faith of his people a faith that is much more precious in gold, just like gold is tested in fire to remove the dross, the, the imperfections of it, so that what you have as an end result 
as a purified and strengthened metal. And that is the purpose of God's testing of our faith, so that our faith may be presented to him at the last day, pure, refined, strengthened, more precious than gold. Found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Whose glory and honor and revelation? Jesus absolutely gets the glory and honor and prestige and the praise that he deserves now and forevermore. But that passage is actually referring to the Christian. That when, you, when, when your faith is tested and you have learned steadfastness and your, your faith has been purified, just like gold is purified in fire, the end result will be that you will be honored and that you will be glorified. 2 Corinthians 8 is a really good chapter, a really good passage speaking to this testing of the righteous. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 1, it says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. The Jerusalem church was in desperate need. They didn't have any resources. They probably didn't have any money as well. And Paul is going around collecting resources for the Jerusalem church. He comes to these churches in Macedonia, not looking to get anything from them. And the idea seems to be that they don't have anything. They themselves are in extreme poverty. But here's this church begging the Apostle Paul, let us take part. Let us give as well. And so in the little that they had, they pulled their resources together to give to those in need. And this was a severe test of affliction. So in that moment of testing, not only, and they passed with flying colors, it seems to be, because not only did they trust in the Lord as their provider, but they continued to trust in the Lord even when they gave the little that they did have. It was a trial for them. Their faith was tested. And they could have just passed by just simply trusting in the Lord, not giving anything, which would have been expected, which not, would not have been a sin, but they gave the little that they had anyway. And so they did more than just pass the test. The difference between man in general being tested by God and God's testing of the righteous is that the righteous have their precious faith tested so that it might be strengthened with the result that they may be honored and glorified. God wants our faith stronger than it is today. God wants us to be more like Christ each and every day. So God means to, to righteousify us. I made up that word. But hopefully it communicates the idea. The idea just, like, just like God justifies us in Christ, God means to righteousify us in Christ, to make us more righteous, to grow us in righteousness. And one of the means that he does that is through the testing of our faith. 
So how do you know when you are being tested? We want to talk about a little bit more. We're talking about actually next week's sermon will be dedicated to this particular topic of the testing of the righteous. But for now, to kind of sort of land this plane on this particular topic, how do you know when you are being tested? How do you know when your faith is being tested? You know when your faith is being tested, when you are in a situation, when you are having to make the choice of whether to trust in God or not. Will you trust in God as you wait, patiently wait for him, or will you take matters into your own hands and go into the direction that you want to go? Will you trust in the wisdom of God? Will you trust in the wisdom of his word, or will you trust in your own wisdom? Will you allow the situation or the trial in your life to put a question mark over your faith in God? Or will, that be, or will you allow that time to be a means of you pressing more into Jesus Christ? Whenever you experience moments like that, you're being tested. And the testing can last however God wants it to. It can last a day, it can last a week, it can last for months, it can last for years. I think, particularly in mine, I think about those who have chronic illnesses or diseases that they struggle with for years and years for the rest of their lives. But that illness, as painful as it is, is being used by God as a means of testing that dear saint and the faith to continue to help them to put their trust in the Lord. And the Lord can test our faith for various different reasons. He can test our faith maybe because we've become too much like the world. Maybe we've been itching a little bit more, a little bit more towards the world, and God puts a trial in our lives. He tests our faith so that we can wake up and return to the Lord. So that we may realize that we've been inching a little bit closer to the world. The Lord might test our faith perhaps because our worship has become cold. We should be vibrant. And we should love worshiping the Lord Jesus with our lives. But instead, our worship has become cold and stagnant. The Lord might test your faith and mine at times because perhaps our faith has become lazy. But that faith is sort of like a a badge that you wear on your chest, like a Boy Scout or a Girl Scout, when faith is a, it's a walk of your life, when faith is the character of your life, when faith is what you're called to do every single day, to live for God, to live for His glory. Right, if we ever come to a point where faith is something that I've had, that I've done, I'm saved, that's it. Right, if that's you, the Lord is probably going to test your faith to, to wake you up and make you realize no, faith isn't just a one-time thing. Faith is an everyday thing. Faith is your life. The Lord will even test certain individuals to show others and to show themselves whether or not they are truly in the faith. In Luke chapter 8, Jesus tells 
the parable of the sower who sows seeds, and some fell among rocky ground. And it tells us, Jesus explains the parable, and tells us that the seed, of, that the seed is though, that who fell on rocky ground as those who, who receive the word of God and even receive it with joy. But then when test comes, they no longer believe. They turn away. In that sense, when our faith is tested, right, and we endure, and we learn steadfastness, we continue to put our hope and trust in the Lord, that gives us a personal assurance, yes, we are walking in the Lord, that we are in Jesus Christ. So this psalm shows us God's overarching supervision of the world and how God exercises this examination upon the world, but a particular examination upon his righteous people. But the psalm also shows us that God's supervision is his supervision in love. In verse 5, it tells us, The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Let him rain coals on the wicked. Fire and sulfur and the scorching wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. So we see here a stark contrast between the righteous and the wicked, that the Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. It's not just speaking to a, an emotional response to the wicked. And we talked at length about the wicked Especially like last week, we talk about the wicked. What is the wicked person? And the wicked person essentially is one who does not know the Lord. Romans chapter 1 tells us that it is the person who does not honor God or give thanks to God. The passage is not only talking about an emotional response that God has towards the wicked, but his, it's speaking to his direct opposition. But alternatively, it tells us that God tests the righteous telling us that God isn't opposed to the righteous, but is with the righteous. He is near the righteous. Because of God's opposition upon the wicked, there's the prayer that God would rain coals on the wicked, fire and sulfur, tending to remind us of God's judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah, the book of Genesis two wicked cities full of wicked people that God utterly destroyed. There's a confidence in this passage that while the wicked in the darkness, in the hope of their darkness, may shoot arrows at the righteous, God's judgment is greater. While the wicked may prepare their arrows for the righteous, God's preparing essentially a nuke for the wicked. The Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. Verse 7, I think, explains to us verses 4 through 6, or rather verses 5 and 6. The Lord tests the righteous because the Lord is righteous. The Lord will bring judgment upon the wicked because the Lord is righteous. 
The Lord tests the righteous because he loves righteous deeds and is the upright or the righteous who shall behold the face of God. And that tells us the grand destination of the righteous, the grand destination of the Christian, that they shall behold the face of God. The righteous shall see God. Hebrews 12, 14 tells us, Strive for peace with everyone and strive for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Psalm 24, verse 3, Who shall ascend the holy hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount tells us, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Though we wear the righteousness of Jesus Christ by our faith in Jesus Christ, we today strive to become what we already are in Jesus Christ. And one day we will be what we already are in Christ, thanks to our faith in Jesus Christ. And we will behold the face of God. That is, tells us the, about the grand desire of the Christian. His greatest or her greatest desire is to behold the face of Jesus Christ, to see the Lord. How do you know that you are a Christian? How do you know that you are in the Lord Jesus? Do you desire to see the Lord Jesus one day? Do you desire to stand in his holy presence and be with him where he is? The way in which this psalm helps us is to be more cognizant or more aware of the trials that we experience in this life and to have a biblical perspective on those trials. The point of the passage here in Psalm 11 the psalmist is going through a particular trial. Some commentators suggest that this is the particular point in, his, in the psalmist's life where he's running away from King Saul, who's the king of Jerusalem, who's the king of Israel, and David's on the run. David who, who killed Goliath, David who gained a reputation for himself, who gained honor and prestige for himself. King Saul then who was, became jealous of David and his accomplishments and then in his anger tried to kill David in that moment in his life he had to run, he had to flee. And in that, in that, in that season of his life, yeah, his foundations crumbled before him. Everything he knew, everything he loved, he had to run away from because the king was after his very life. The point of the psalm is that the psalmist understood that he was in his moment of testing. Let's just run with that. Let's just say that this was the particular situation in his life. He understood that he was being tested. But listen to what he says in the very beginning of the psalm. He says, in the Lord I take refuge. His refuge is not a destination. His refuge is not a place. His refuge is a person. His refuge is the Lord. <clears throat> Excuse me. It says the Lord is in the holy temple. He's in his throne. He sees. He tests. He affirms that God is a righteous God and that he loves righteous deeds. He knows that he's in a moment of affliction. He's being tested and his faith is being tested. 
And he also, I think, realizes that God will come through because God is near those he tests. That is the righteous that are tested in their faith. This psalm helps us to see the testing of our faith as a blessing. Deuteronomy 8.16 Moses speaking to the people of Israel that God fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. So God's purpose in testing his people in the wilderness is so that he may do them good in the end. That is God's purpose in our being tested to do us good. Now can a Christian fail a test? Yeah. They can fail a test. But what that does not mean, it does not mean that you are not saved. It does not mean that you actually don't believe in the Lord Jesus. We're not perfect. Sometimes we fail the tests. In those moments, what's most important is your response. And the appropriate response is to turn to the Lord, to confess, to repent. We fail to pass a test when we give in to sin instead of remaining steadfast. We give in to the test when we become impatient instead of being patient and waiting on the Lord. We fail the test when we fail to be kind to others when instead we are impatient or demeaning. Sometimes you might curse. But what's important is that you return to the Lord. Learn from the test. And God is a righteous God who loves righteous deeds. He is near to his righteous people who we test. So even when you do fail the test, you can have the confidence that God has not abandoned you. That God is still with you. And he means to forgive. And then lastly, what we also see in the scriptures is that God is not the only one who tests the righteous. But we see in the scriptures that even the Christian is called to test or examine his or herself. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5 says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you, fa- you, indeed you fail to meet the test. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. The scripture says, but then testing yourself with this truth in mind that Christ is in you. And you, as a Christian, can examine yourself and test yourself with full confidence because you know that Christ is in you. 
And the point of testing yourself is to make sure that you are still following the Lord. That you are making sure that you are growing in the righteousness that God requires of you. Examine yourselves. Test yourselves as sons and daughters of the living God through faith in Jesus Christ. And how do you examine yourself? One way is to look at the fruit of your life. Ask yourself, what fruit do I see in my life right now? What fruit am I seeing being produced? How has the Lord been convicting me lately? It's asking somebody you're close to, somebody who knows you well, whether it's a friend or a spouse, asking them, what fruit do you see in my life? What sins do you see in my life do you think there needs to be a repentance of? As Christians, we can examine ourselves without sort of doubting our own faith because Christ has saved us. The Scriptures tell us that you have been saved if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So the point of examining yourself is to look inwardly and see how much am I growing in the likeness of Jesus Christ. Though tests are hard and sometimes even excruciatingly hard, to have a biblical perspective on these trials is to remember that the Lord means them for your good and my good. And that they are done so in love. You may not always pass them, but your God is a gracious God who stands ready and willing to forgive us our sins and trespasses. You have a gracious God who desires for you to be what you already are in Jesus Christ. Fully and completely righteous by the power of the Holy Spirit of God. And because you have the Holy Spirit of God, He is there to help you in those trials and in those tests. Because the tests are not intended to make you fail. God intends for you to pass them. And that is why He's given you He's given me His Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, we... Lord, we don't always... We don't always realize when we're being tested... And maybe if we had been more, or if we are, if we were more aware of the tests in our life, we would have a higher success rate. So Lord, we pray that you would give us a greater awareness of the trials of our life. Give us a greater awareness of them, Lord, so that we may know that this is intended to test our faith so that you may do to us good, so that you may show us your goodness, so that you may grow us in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And Lord, your scriptures affirm to us, you have already given us everything that we need for those tests. But it is up to us to employ those means. So would you help us
would you help us, Lord, to go to your word, to go to prayer, to go even to the counsel of godly brothers and sisters in Christ. And through these means, help us. Help us to help ourselves to meet these tests with patience and grace at the past time so that we may learn steadfastness and so that we may see you and behold you and be drawn near to you. So we pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.